1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to KFS Study Hall. My name is Sean the W. Thanks for joining us today on this uh Saturday afternoon, the 21st of January. Before we begin, um, I would just like to give a big shout out and a big happy birthday to Mama Hardy. Mama Hardy turned today. Um, the number doesn't matter, but uh, happy birthday to her. I got some big flowers for her that so I'm going to drop off at her house later today. Thank you very much. You are far too kind. Um, and for those who are listening on podcast, for the person you heard clapping um, is my co-host who is a Knicks beat reporter for WFUV Sports. That is at WFUV, the official radio station of Fordham University in the Bronx. So I'm born and raised. That is that was clapping Mr. Chris and Chris, how are you doing today? Happy weekend, sir. Happy birthday to Mama Hardy. Um, I had my first day
2: of classes on Wednesday. My class was at uh, 1230. Um, and I woke up at 130. So that's how I started out my semester. Uh, I feel like that is not surprising to our listeners, because they know I wake up late. But when you realize I wake up late because I'm watching, I don't know Jairus Walker film at four in the morning, and I can't fall asleep. It, 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 it was fun. We got we got things started on Thursday. Both classes was on time and punctual, uh, <laughs> and same for Friday. So we got our we got our week rolling. Eventually, um, getting back in the groove of things here as a student. Uh. Which also entails being in the WFUV studios a whole ton. Um, I will be out and about probably missing some Nick games for the rest of the season because I have been elevated um, from the practice squad. well, not actually. I, I've, I've I've been partially elevated from being the studio host for women's basketball, which means every halftime show and every post game show. That's what I did last year too. Um, But for this last stretch of the season, I was put on color commentary for five games. And that includes, you know, road trips with the team. Um, If they're playing on the road, you know, I got to bring a suit, go on the road with them and call that game there. So I'm very excited for that. I'm excited to take this next step in my sports broadcasting career. I always like to call it an aspiring career, but I feel like it's, I feel like I might qualify to drop the aspiring at this point. It'll It'll be fun. Um, because I love calling color commentary, I love doing Mr. Clyde Frazier's job of not giving the what of the game, but giving the why. And yeah, I love doing play by play, but doing color, getting to explain. Because when I do color commentary, I can nerd out and I can be the basketball nerd that you all know me as. Um, and it's my job <laughs> to do it in that case instead of me annoying everyone you know like it's it's fun so look out for that I'll be posting the link if y'all ever want to hear me call a game you can do that now um five times before the end of the women's basketball season here in the Bronx and other than all of that I'm doing pretty good except for what is now a one and seven record as a beat reporter for the New York knicks
1: what <laughs> so you're the so you're the so you're the You are the mush. I am in the building
2: covering the team, asking questions, this, that, and the third. The team has played eight games when those
1: were the circumstances. They have lost seven of those games. Bro, listen, I'll tell you one step. I see that and I'll raise you this. I have a half season ticket package. I have – think I've been in the building – I think I've seen the Knicks win twice at home this year. Um, and one of those was the home opener against Detroit because I went to the first Atlanta game at home, lost. Went to the Boston game where they shot 27 threes, lost. Went to – I didn't go to OKC, but i went to, what of what of the games that i go to did we lose uh not portland not memphis uh it was da-da-da. milwaukee that's it i went to Mo- i went to milwaukee i was at the, i was at the, i was at uh i was at the raptor game on monday that was a loss like i've seen two i've seen two wins in person two and they were uh they were Detroit, and they were Golden, and there was the slacking of Golden State. Well, That's all Would I- you like to
2: use this little anecdote that we are kind of tossing back and forth here as a trampoline for the jumping point to discuss this here team of New York Knickerbockers, which, despite having a record that involves being several games above five hundred, is still under five hundred on their
1: home court. It is. It is fascinating that this team plays better at on the road than it does at home, and I guess I guess you I could go break down and look at like who we played and when we played and which matters. Like for example, we played Toronto twice at home. We lost both of them, but both those games are coming off a back to back. That matters, right? Thibodeau will be the first to tell
2: you that. Not only was it strange that. Toronto had a rest advantage on New York, despite New York being the home team. Typically, the home team has the rest advantage, right? Toronto mm-hmm. yeah. was in New York waiting for the Knicks to get back from a road trip. And and Pivotos <laughs> said in his pregame presser that day, they they have been here sitting waiting on us. I and mean, that is something we are concerned about in regards to. Not like oh, will the guys want to play? Will the guys be ready to play? But he just he said before the game, he was like, home teams usually get the rest advantage. We don't have it. It's going to be weird. And after the game, they blew the lead. He came right out and he was like, well, see, Occam just dropped fifty one points. He's fantastic and he's really long, so he's really good. And we were freaking exhausted from traveling last night to our home court tonight. Like it, it's it's not an excuse when it's not the norm. So I totally understand that aspect of it as well. But I don't know. Are we are we surprised that and I'm not trying to say that it is the fault of Nick fans for the team not having a great record, not being able to defend its home court, but I am saying are we surprised that a team with several players who seem to be kind of inconsistent in what player you're going to see from them um, and therefore get inconsistent fan responses. For example, there is a Nick who last season got booed every time he touched the ball the season before got MVP chance every time he touched the ball. And now this season started out getting booed every time he touched it and is now back to getting MVP chance that combined with that particular player, perhaps not being the most steady handed surgeon of an emotional leader for the team combined with that particular player's extent of his role in the offense. And the fact that that particular player's swing skill is his shooting. When he's on shooting, he's on. And when he's off shooting, he's off pretty much the whole game. I I can't help but think if it's just a, a third dimension of team construction, that is mentality and, and everything. That just, the vibes are weird. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm saying they're weird. And I think that there's something to that in the sense where this team comes home and feels so much pressure to perform in front of their home court that they kind of get lost in what their task is, and they kind of drown in that pressure. Um, Yes, the Knicks don't have a star. Yes, the stat in the third. But New York, pressure is real. Um, And, you know, I I just think – I think what it always does, I always call it a catalyst in the sense that it makes the highs higher and the lows lower. Obi Toppin can dunk in transition and be serenaded by chance of his name. That's not normal, right? But Julius Randle can miss two step-back jump shots, both of which I'll say for this hypothetical were bad shots, and he'll get booed. And as a team star, that's not normal either. So I just think maybe – that has a thirty percent part of the potion that is the the Knicks weirdness uh, on home versus on the road. I don't know. I think it's I think it's all fascinating to think about. I do think that at the end of the day, no matter what, it's a good basketball team, and and the home record doesn't change that. But I think it is worth discussion.
1: So it's funny you say that because I pulled up um, I pulled up Julius's home and road splits. And it's actually pretty effing fascinating. Julius Randle is shooting 43% from the field at home and 48% on the road. That's insane. And he's shooting 27%, 26.9% from three for at home. Yeah, I, I didn't know the, these numbers, but the, I knew what they were going to sound like. And 39.6% call it 40% on the road. That's insane. That's crazy. Uh, I will say this. Uh, for me, the home thing, I feel like the home thing started, the home thing really, I started to notice it, the Bulls game at the Garden on Christmas Eve. Because Brunson missed the free, Brunson missed the free throws. And Randall missed the three throws. And when Brunson, I forget I have to go look at the game logs. I don't remember who shot first. Oh, Randall went up, one for two. Brunson and Grimes went 0 for 2 at the line. Yes, that's what it was. That's what it was. Randall went on for two. It was like, okay. And then and then Grimes, and then Grimes missed both. And then Brunson missed both. So when Grimes missed it was on Grimes missed his two free throws. It was like, okay. Oh, like obviously, you know, you're like, oh, it sticks. Right. So when, when Jalen missed his free throw, the, the sound of the built the sound that we let out was just like, holy fucking, holy shit. Right. And I say that to say, and then obviously we end up losing that game. now, Every time we have a, there is a, there is a anticipation, a tightness, I don't know what you want to call it, in the building when a Nick player steps to the line in a clutch situation at home. And because when they missed, and when they missed, like when they miss, it's like, oh. So, for example, the Raptors game, again, I was there. Uh so I actually I'm pulling up this I'm actually going to pull up the play by play right here cuz in the 4th in the 4th quarter where where is this right here okay I'm going to go find this right here okay yes um was right here oh yeah so Julius misses the fir- Julius is 107-106 Raptors Julius gets fouled goes to the line goes one for two. And when he missed the first one, it was like, there's almost a sense of like, here we go again. He makes the second one. All right. Fast forward. Uh, Fred Van Vliet fouls, J- fouls Brunson, which was an inexplicable. It was so inexplicable because now the game is tied. So like, all right, go up two. And Jalen gets to the line. And you, we know Jalen's a good free throw shooter. But because everyone now in the back of their mind has the Bulls game in the back of their head when he misses the first one. Now There's a tightness because now the I say that to say that when the players get to the line, they like Macri's even said in the post game, like now this might be in their head. They know what's happened to them and then Lord knows the freaking the, the, the Dallas game, you know, going in 50 seconds. So it's in their head now. So now anytime this team and, and, and even though Brunson wasn't here this year, you know, Julius was on the team last year. Argue was on the team last year. Quick was on the team last year. No lead is safe at home. At home, because the, the funny thing is, when the road and they go down big, there's no comeback. If you notice, there's this. There is no. There's no comeback. But when they have a big lead at home, everyone, everyone in the building, the players, the coaches, the concession, security, Leon West knows like this game isn't safe. And this lead isn't safe, and I don't know how they're going to get past that this season. They may not get. They may not get past that this season. But that absolutely is a thing. And then looking at Julius Randle's home and road splits is absolutely like wow. Like to shoot twenty seven percent from at home from three, 40 percent on the road is insane. Yeah, no, it's a there's a difference. There's a a
2: ostensible one. Um, I don't know how much of it is like. I, th- I think you're right. I think a lot of it at this point is the fact that it's happened before. Like, I think I think at this point, like, you saw Randall after um, the Toronto game, and he was, like, like, smiling, laughing. He's like, I can't believe we finally won one of those games, one of those games where things are tight back and forth, because he knows that things just fall apart. And I... I think the conversation is worth having regarding why that happens. Um, I think there are a lot of things you can look at. I think that, you know, zeroing in on any one thing is probably a mistake. Like, it's it's obviously a variety of factors. It's obviously the splits for the players. Um, the team strategy, the scheme, once they're up, changes. It feels like Randall particularly does this thing where he will do things like the little things well and they'll work and the team will go up or whatever and he'll be playing well and he's like okay now that I played well it's time for it for me to take over and it's time for me to do i saw this i saw that um and it feels like Randall then goes to he reverts to the version of Randall that doesn't get the job done and uh, it happens once he plays well like once he plays well he earns the ability to uh, uh play worse um and it feels like the team does something similar in that they'll mix quickly in with the lineups they'll play um and they'll play grimes with the bench they'll, whatever it is like they will Try different things. Barrett with the bench. Brunson with the, with with Sims and McBride. Like they'll try these different things out. Thibodeau will ge- genuinely experiment and try things out, and the team will uh, amass a lead. And then once it has the lead, the team is like, all right, well now it's time to run and hide with the game, to chew the clock, and to to play ISO basketball. And it feels like so counterintuitive. Like oh, you finally. You know, got a big lead early in the game, so now it's time to start doing what you weren't doing to get that lead. Like, it, it, it's it, it's a pattern that happens a lot. Like, like we we'll, the the team will get somewhere doing something, and then use that somewhere as an excuse to switch the something, and and then the lead goes away or the good play goes away, whatever it is. Um I think that's a trend worth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Observing, you know, I, I think that it's not smart. It's just not. It's this odd reverting to non-winning ways once it seems like a game or a performance, an individual matchup is whatever it is, is one. No I, no, I mean, you hit the nail on the head.
1: So, I do want to discuss the games of last week, and then we'll get to, um, and then we'll, and then we'll uh, discuss our topic then We'll open up to the, uh, we'll open up to the, uh, to the, to the callers to the audience. I ninety five bully, I see you. You will be first up. Um, so, I do want to read a quote, a comment from Ariel. Uh, and again, if you want to say something, but you don't want to come on stage or can't come on stage because you're at work or something. Um, leave something in the com leave, leave, leave a, a comment in the chat in the lower in the lower right hand corner. Right now there's a little with the little uh little thought bubble. Uh so Ariel says the crowd's a bunch of casuals also. Business suits and tourists have priced out the diehards. Ariel, I will tell you one thing. Um the diehards got priced out years ago. Uh this is <laughs> this isn't anything new. Uh I remember I used to go to games because in the arts in, like, 05, 06, because my boss, I used to work at a real estate company on, like, 31st and 7th, and my boss had season tickets, and he would sometimes give them to me. So, um, I actually do think we have a good amount of diehard, non, uh, non-casual non fans. Uh, even, like, something like the, the suits. Some of the suits are, like, you know, they raging, right? But... I don't know. It's just that, and the, and the last thing I'll say is that what I've heard is that people are like, oh, everyone wants to turn up at the garden. And I and th- I think there's, a, there's some truth to that. People always want to, people always want to put their show on, put, people always want to put their best foot forward to put on a show at MSG. Um, I, and it's because we're in New York. No one knows what the scoring, no one knows what the scoring record is at the Paycom Center in Oklahoma City or at Amway Arena or at the Amway Center in Orlando or, the Pfizer from in, in Milwaukee, but, but it, it, do it at MSG, it's a, it's a thing. So that's just something we have to deal with. And honestly, if we have players that cannot match up to – cannot match the effort of visitors whose talent level is at or below us, then maybe we need better players. And that's, a lot, and that's all that Stone Cold got to say about that. All right. I think, Let's I, – Yes, I, go ahead. I think it's interesting
2: because – if you remember to start the season um, a popular argument that even Nick's film school was like one of the, one of the people out there um, just presenting evidence to support it, you know, like fairly, but that like the front office had assembled this Frankenstein's monster of a basketball team that was unable to compete and that no coach could possibly do anything with this roster. So it couldn't possibly be um, anything that Thibodeau had to improve because the, the roster was a death sentence from day one. Um, and then the front office stepped in and was like, switch the rotation to this because your rotation isn't working. And once the front office changed the rotation, the team won eight straight games and then they lost five straight, but then they won seven of nine, something like that. It was just... They've been notably better since the rotation was changed. And it feels like um, the discourse is now, oh, well, you know, it's just great that Thibodeau has been able to get so much out of this team because no other coach could have done. It's like I think the discourse doesn't have to be so hyperbolic. Like the term no other coach, like not only are there 30 NBA head coaches, if we want to say 10 of them stank, Relatively to the other 20, then you can say there's five assistants or associates that deserve to be head coaches and would be good ones. Like at any point, in my opinion, there are like at least 25 capable head coaches surrounding the NBA. I don't think it's, you know, they're all great. I think they're all like able to do the job. When I sat down uh, at the start of the season and attempted to rank Thibodeau, I, I got him like. 13th, 11th, 15th, uh, I'd use different philosophies to rank coaches and then try to kind of like do an emulgation of them all. Whatever. Thibodeau is is a good head coach who is, in my opinion, in the top half of the NBA. I just also think that there it, it, it can also be true that the 20th best head coach could be a, a better fit with this Nick team. And the reason I say that is because what we were just talking about earlier with you know the reverting to to bad habits, that also has to do with other teams coming out in the second half uh, with adjustments. And when the other team makes an adjustment, I'm not talking, you know, if the game is moving pawns and them fighting and occasionally, you know, you get a, a, a run from Randall and you can say that's a, a bishop taking something over, whatever. Like if we're doing chess analogy here, Uh, or John Morant puts up 10 points in six minutes, and you could say that's a rook moving forward, like whatever it is. When the coach makes an adjustment, like that's a moving of a king or queen. Like the board is fundamentally different. There's a different game happening now. And it feels like whenever an opposing head coach comes out in the second half with their king in a different spot, the Knicks just continue the same attack that they had in the first half and it it, it doesn't work. So you look at Nate McMillan, who in my opinion is no master game planner. He is no wizard. He is no in game savant when it comes to adjustments said regarding the Knicks that he made, you know, he was asked about defensive changes in the second half. He said, I thought the zone defense slowed them down and made them use some clock because he knows NBA head coaches know that the Knicks have no schematic response for his own defense time and time again, they have been presented with his own defense. They have not been able to crack it. And after the game um, coach Thibodeau will say something to the effect of, yeah, we have to look at that film and we have to make some adjustments um, because it's not going to be the last time we see his own defense and we absolutely need to be better against it next time. And then the cycle repeats. So if there is, if there are such large counterpoints to what the Knicks are doing that are so effective because the Knicks won't adjust what they're doing. So pretty much adjusting, not adjusting anything, but just any smart adjustment will work. Uh, You need a good head coach to make those smart adjustments, but most head coaches will make in-game adjustments. So when that happens and the Knicks don't have a response, I think two things can be true. I think you can say Thibodeau is easily, a top 15 NBA head coach, arguably a top 10 NBA head coach, and that a team like Houston, who was rumored to have interest in him a couple years back, should offer him a bag to come in and set them a real foundation. But that after his years with the Knicks, where they are right now, I just think the debate is worth having of, are the Knicks, that's the front office and the head coach, And I think, you know, the front office is who chose and who continues to employ the head coach, which I I don't think he needs to, the head coach needs to be fired at all is not what I'm saying, but is the front office doing the best job of of putting out the winning product? But the front office, uh, for the front office, the the roster and the coach are elements of that. Like, that's the way I like to see it. Because I think when the discourse becomes, oh, well, if the players don't do this, then you need better players or, oh, if the coach can't do this, you need a better coach. Like that's too, you're looking down a one-way street and it's like the discourse has to either go in that way or the other, I think you can get into an intersection, a four-way intersection and have like more productive thought battles, if that makes sense, like
1: internal dialogue. So all right, so let me ask you this. And then this is actually the perfect segue to the main topic of the show. We don't have to recap this week's games because they freaking stink. Um the zone, yes, the zone, the team playing zone has been an issue for us, and we seem to have no answers for it. Isn't that more and listen? I actually agree with you. I agree with everything that you said about the discourse about what can you expect Tibbs to do with this roster that was disingenuous? Because literally, and I'll give a shout out to XJ, the fact that Emmanuel quickly was in trade rumors until injury came and he was forced to play and he played well and now he's not in trade rumors it's like that is that is scary because that literally you, you were considered trading this guy because the head coach kept telling you, uh, I can't play this guy more because he's not good Oops. enough. And then he plays, he's good enough. Um, but isn't this a roster issue? Like, teams play zone against teams that are not good outside shooters. Yeah, that gets Unless, unless your name is Jim Boeheim. Shout out to Southeast University, right? And we have three players. Our three best players would rather play inside the arc and preferably get into the get into the paint or get within nine feet of the basket. The outside. Now, listen, Jalen Brunson is basically at forty percent from three. Quentin Grimes is at thirty seven percent from three. But then after that, we have Obi Top is at thirty four percent, which is at league averages like around thirty five percent. Then you have Obi Toppin, Julius at thirty three percent, quickly at thirty three percent, Rj at thirty two point six percent, and then, you know, Ugh, ugh, whatever uh deuce 27 percent hardenstein 24 and what and that's it right so while well, listen I, I will crush tom Thibodeau for his basketball war crimes any chance i get but ultimately this team needs another reliable shooter who is not a total minus on defense um so I will, I will save my agenda about the career 38% three-point shooter. Who's I on was going to say, the
2: front office signed a great three-point
1: shooter <laughs> who's so
2: bad at everything else that he, now that he athletically declined a year before I thought he would, is a bad player to have but, out there, especially when he has to play in a scheme that's very athletically – There inclusive. you go. Which is why someone like McBride – who has a minimal offensive game, has been more productive in his minutes than someone like Rose because what McBride brings on the other end of the court is worth keeping him on that court.
1: Exactly. And to your point, you know, maybe if, like, if we had a different head coach, and now we're getting a head coach thing again. But, you know, the head coach would say, you know what? You're not, like, I would love to run this scheme, but I, I don't really have the players for this scheme to... The, the success I get from running this scheme is offset by the not I, optimal situation I put some of my players in, which now leads me to having to sit set of players. We're going to leave cameras out this, of this equation, but like Rose and and Fournier. So with that being said, the Knicks need to make a trade. And I've seen all the timeline about, oh, the Knicks are going to make a panic trade. They can trade, like, let's, what's it? The Knicks need to make a trade. They need to bring some need to bring in somebody to come off the bench that can hit open shot from downtown and just be league average on defense and buy into the scheme. So with that being said, Chris, I don't know if you have any names you want to suggest or any trade that you would think can happen. I I95 Bully, I don't know if you have that as well. But if you do, please raise your hand, request, come to the stage, leave them in the chat, what have you. Um, I will say this: If you come up here and you ask about a trade if you propose a trade for Kyle Kuzma, I will kick you. We are. It makes absolutely no sense for this team to trade for Kyle Kuzma. Not that Kyle Kuzma is not a very good player. But we've seen that up close in the last, and then in the last seven days. However, how you bring in Kyle Kuzma. You're going to pay him. You're he's a free agent. You have to pay him someone between twenty and twenty-five million dollars a year. Which and because of who we have, he's either coming off the bench. And why are you playing bench players twenty million dollars a year? Or he's gonna have to start. And who's he gonna start over? He's not gonna start over Julius. So that means we're gonna kick RJ to the bench to start Kyle Kuzma. I don't think so. So please. And the other player is And that is much more me saying. Zach and V is not getting traded to this team. Like, cut it out. Just stop. Just stop. Okay. So, Chris, I'll start with you. Who's a player that you think the Knicks need to trade for? And if you have a trade, if you have trade work out, that would be great. But if you don't, that's fine as well. But I want to get your thoughts on who the Knicks should bring in. All
2: right. So I will start by saying um, I'm certainly not advocating for any firings or hirings to be made. I'm not saying any trades need to be made. I'm not, you know, I'm just here giving takes, playing devil's advocate with Sean, um, stretching out the discourse, making sure we cover all sides of everything. Um, To add to that, I think someone worth talking about in the trade market. um, I personally, depending on the price, obviously, if the price is what I think it would be, I probably wouldn't make this trade. But I think Malik Beasley is a name to throw out there that's interesting because he would essentially offensively bring to the table what Fournier did, but with a more functional handle in the sense that, you know, if he's left with an emergency initiation possession, um, it might not be as hard to watch. Um, He's a really great shooter. He's athletic, so he would be a little better – of a fit defensively than Fournier, and just able to not be the leaky plug so often. Um, I, I think that you never know, you know, maybe, um, draft compensation just on top of Fournier would get that swap done. But I would think you would need to assemble some sort of package, maybe, second rounders along with Rose and Reddish, something like that. Whatever it is. Um, you know, that bench unit could then be McBride, quickly, Beasley, Toppin, Hartenstein, slash Sims. Um and obviously you play quickly with the starters. You can play Beasley with this, like whatever it is, you can um, he's just someone who can play, I think, in this rotation. Uh, that would probably be low cost, um, and I, they, you know they want to have twenty twenty four cap space, so that would line up there. And and uh, William Wesley wanted him in restricted free agency a couple years back, and Gerston Rosas was who got him to the Timberwolves, who now works for the Knicks.
1: So there's there's some stuff there. Oh, absolutely. So the I think I think Beasley's reasonable. Um uh, I don't think it'll cost an arm leg to get him. Um for me, I wrote down so I wrote down four names. One of these names, I one of these names will be perfect, but it's not going to happen. Or it would it will be a big it would be a big time move. And the uh, and they all have their warts. So the Player that has his like so the one the first name we wrote down was uh Boyan Baidanovich, um, who is wasting way in Detroit. Uh he is like you want to talk about spacing, Jesus. Like he is he will be amazing off the bench from offense perspective. Defensively, I mean <laughs> like if we if we don't think 48 can work, can we put both can we put Boyan in that in, in our defensive scheme? I'm not sure. Um, the player that would be perfect, but would, but it's probably not going to happen is OG Ananobi because his skill set is literally in des- desired by the entire league. And when I hear, when I read about Donovan Mitchell like trade packages with OG, I'm like, okay. And which means that it, and because OG's not coming up the bench, OG's either going to play the two or the three, which means goodbye to Grimes or. RJ, um, I, like, I like Quentin Grimes, but if I can get OG Ananobi thanks Quentin, it's been real. But I think that's that's a huge that's a huge trade, so I don't think it's happening. Um, the other two names I wrote down were Gary Harris and Jay Crowder. Um, Jay Crowder would basically mean the end of OB Toppin in New York, which sucks because my that's my son's favorite player, and he even has a jersey, and I bought that jersey. Statement jersey knowing full well that it may be a relic in two in two and a half months, but whatever. Um so that I think he's the grizzle, you know, he's a vet, he's been there and you know Tibbs loves his vets. Um and then Gary Harris. Gary Harris, solid player. Um, again, he's a guy who come off the bench. He's I don't he's not the, necessarily the biggest needle mover, um, but he is hitting forty he's shooting forty-four percent from three. Um, he's not a big wing but he fits otherwise he will um uh, so he's some nice he's some nice insurance um and yeah so those those are the ones i have